Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. The text for our meditation this morning is written for us in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at the first verse. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready whether it is convenient or not. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with all patience and teaching. For there will come a time when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, because they have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in line with their own desires. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. As for you, keep a clear head in every situation, bear hardship, Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. You see, I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness. The Lord, the righteous judge, will give it to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to everyone who loved his appearing. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, these are your words. Sanctify us through the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Please be seated. In Jesus the Christ, dear fellow redeemed, why are you here? The answer to that question would probably depend on what you think I mean. As in, why are you here in Trinity Chapel? Or if we want to be very existential, why are you here on the face of the earth? What is your purpose for living? Why are you here? If we take that existential route, Luther has some interesting things to say with that regard. He wrote, We have no other reason for living on earth than to be of help to others. If this were not the case, it would be best for God to kill us and let us die as soon as we are baptized and have begun to believe. But he permits us to to live here in order that we may bring others to faith, just as he brought us. Then let it be your chief work to proclaim this publicly and to call everyone into the light into which you have been called. Where you find people who do not know this, you should instruct and also teach them as you have learned, namely, how one must be saved through the power and strength of God and come out of darkness into the light. Why are you here? Well, Paul gave an explicit command to Timothy to preach the word. So, why are you here? To hear the word preached, 
and also to participate in the preaching of the word. Why would we want to do that? So Paul tells us at least two things in our text, but two that we'll quickly focus on this morning. The first thing is that the, the word is useful. Paul warns us in this text that the time is coming when men will not put up with sound doctrine, but instead to suit the itching of their own ears, they'll even gather around themselves teachers that tell them just what they want to hear. And he says they'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to mess. Well, let's say it's about 2,000 years after Paul wrote this. Do you think what he has written has come true? That people no longer want to follow the truth, but follow the itching of their own ears. I think if we looked at the world around us, we would have to conclude that that's true. And if we look at the church around us, we would have to conclude that's true too. All of the false teachers and false teachings in the Christian church today, what Paul says has come true. You know, sometimes we can be really good at pointing out the faults of others. Maybe in the wells and ells, we're very good at pointing the finger at all of those false prophets and false teachings out there. But what do we see when we look in the mirror? Do we experience ears that are eager to hear the truth of God's word in every facet of our lives? Or instead, do we see a person that's willing to compromise even on what we know God has said how we should live to suit our own desires, our own itching ears. We ignore parts of God's word or we deliberately live contrary to it. So this, this text is not just written for us to be able to point at the world and the Christian church in the world it's also for us to take a good look at ourselves. Now, Paul says the word is useful because it corrects, rebukes, and encourages. That, that first word, correct, uh, the Greek word means it's connected with guilt. It's almost to show a person their guilt. And when we look into the mirror of God's law, that's what we're to see. We're to see how we have transgressed and broken God's law, how we have sinned. But that next word, to rebuke, the, the sense of that is a strict command. Now, it's interesting that Paul has a progression there, show guilt and then give strict command. I don't know about you, but... I know for me, I can be pretty stubborn. And I can be very reluctant, even in the face of my guilt, 
to conform my life to, to God's will. I need a strict command to curb my sinful nature. So God's word corrects, it shows our guilt, uh, guilt, it rebukes, it gives us a strict command in how God wants us to live. And God gives that strict command because our choices in this life aren't just a lifestyle that we want to obtain or live. No, it's a matter of life and death. When we go against God's will, we are, in a sense, taking our life into our own hands. And we're risking the wrath of a righteous judge, as Paul calls him at the end of our text. So that strict command is necessary. But then that last word, encourage. God isn't just a lawgiver and a, an accuser through his law. He is an encourager. Now, this isn't the sense of a coach encouraging his players. Come on, do better, try harder, remember what we practiced. What sort of encouragement would that be for you in your spiritual life? Be Lord, have mercy. I can't live the way that God desires me to live. That would not be encouragement. But the encouragement that God gives us is that He sent His Son to live for us. And Jesus lived a perfect life, not to show us how it's done, or not primarily to show us how it's done. But because we couldn't do it, he did it for us. He was living in our place so that God's law would not come crashing down on our heads. But Jesus stood up underneath it to carry that burden for us. And he carried the burden of God's law and judgment all the way to the cross where he suffered and died in payment for all of our sins. That, that guilt that we see when we look in the mirror it is rightly ours, but God has transferred it to his son. And Jesus has claimed that guilt as if it were his very own. And he has made full satisfaction for it. When he cried out on the cross, it is finished. He was telling you that your sins are covered, that they're paid for. And when God raised Jesus from the dead, he was declaring to you that you are forgiven. That God's love is yours through his son. That's the encouragement that God's word gives you. Not to live a better life, but primarily that God sent his son to live and die for you. Through Jesus, your status, your relationship with God has been fully restored. 
And so the second quick part is that God's word is not only useful, but God's word gives great reward. At the end of our text, Paul talks about his life being poured out like a drink offering and that God would give him this, this crown of righteousness. Now, in no way was Paul saying that when he gets to heaven, when his life is finally poured out, that he had lived such a good life that God was going to give him this special crown so that Paul and, and all people could know he had done a good job. That can't be right because Paul called himself the chief of sinners. No, this crown of righteousness is what Paul was referring to in Romans chapter 3. A righteousness that's separate from the law and it's from God. It's the righteousness of Jesus' perfect life. That's the reward that God's word brings you. That's the reward that is waiting for you in heaven. In heaven... There will be no doubt in your mind or anyone else's that your relationship with God is fully restored, that in God's eyes you are his perfect child by faith. God will there wash you clean of all of your sins and sin will never ever taint you again. So why is that important with Paul pouring out his life. Paul poured out his life to see that the word is preached. Why are you here? I can't answer that question in intimate detail for each and every one of you. But you are still here to see that the word is preached in your daily life, and in your activity of the church. That's probably going to require hardship. That's probably going to require you to sacrifice maybe your earthly possessions, maybe like Paul, your life itself. And when those things require great sacrifice... Remember the crown that is waiting for you and all who long for Jesus appearing. No matter what you pour out in this life in sacrifice to support the word, I can guarantee you that you won't be in heaven wondering if it was worth it. You will be there rejoicing because our present suffering is not worth comparing to the glory that waits for us. So let us see that the word is preached. That its usefulness is taken to heart. And that its reward is held by faith. To God be the glory, now and forever. Amen.